Welcome to Life's Tough. You can be tougher. I'm Dustin Plantle, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, will they have a story? Our story today is one that is truly fascinating. His name is Chief Rabbi Eli Abadi, and he's located in the United Arab Emirates. And before he was a rabbi, he was a physician. And before that, he was a learner. We'd like to do a special thanks to Richard Freiner, our sponsor of today's show, for making this episode possible. Let's begin. Rabbi Eli, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dustin. It's a pleasure to be in your show today. You know, it is great to have you. You are truly one of the most fascinating guests that I've ever had on the show and that our audience will hear because you, my friend, have done some pretty spectacular things. You are not just a board-certified physician. You're a rabbi and a family man, and you happen to have memorized something quite familiar to most or to all. You memorized the Bible. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, when I was very, very young, anyhow, in my family, in my tradition, uh, we begin studying the Torah at age three. My father was a rabbi. He was a principal of a Jewish school in Beirut, Lebanon. I sat with him on his lap when he taught the older children and then when he taught me. And so basically I absorbed everything that he taught. And um, by the age of 15, 16, I knew practically the entire Bible back and forth. And then I had the opportunity to participate in the International Bible Contest in Israel in 1978 where Prime Minister Menachem Begin asked the questions, and I was there representing Mexico, where I, I was living. That was the International Bible Contest, where you had to know practically the entire Bible back and forth. Wow. So this means that you are a lifelong learner. And I love that about you is that you are curious and you ask questions of people. So before you were this kind of a big deal, before you were the chief rabbi, uh, your, your full-time uh, career was as a doctor. I mean, tell us what type of physician. Well, uh, all my life, actually, I have had a dual career, the rabbinate and medicine. In fact, I started in the rabbinate before I started in medicine, even though I had wanted to be a doctor before I wanted to be a rabbi, believe it or not. <laughs> and so, um, yes, since uh, age five or six, I wanted to be a physician as a profession. I loved learning and studying, and as you said, we are all life learners, because in life, we never stop learning. We are the students of life. So yes, when we are young, we are student in the elementary school, high school, college, postgraduate. Those are formal teaching uh, uh, ways, formal teaching institutions. But in life, we learn every day, and we learn a lot every day. So we are really a long-time learners and a life students. But yes, as I said, I wanted to be a doctor, a physician since age five. Uh, I did not want to be a rabbi as a profession, although I wanted to learn as much as a rabbi and I wanted to have the diploma, but not to function as a rabbi. But somehow God had it differently and I became a rabbi before I became a physician. And I functioned as a rabbi in a congregation synagogue and then I went to medical school, I became a physician and I started my career in medicine parallel at the same time that my career in, in the rabbinate continued even before, as I said, we began before I, I was a physician. Now, that's a lot to navigate and a lot to manage because on top of it, you're a family man. So 
talking to another family man. Give me some advice. Say, Dustin, here is the secret. How do you find this balance? How do you prioritize those in your family? And more importantly, no, how do you not lose your lose your mind in the process? Right. So let me first tell you that being a rabbi and a, uh, and a physician or being a rabbi and any other profession is an old age tradition of the Jewish people from the time of the Talmud. We're talking about 2,000 years ago. We had a lot of sages in the Talmud that had other professions at the same time. That was the same for the rabbis over a 1,000 years ago and the rabbis in medieval Spain. That was always the case, that a rabbi had another profession to serve humanity, in a sense, with his feet on the ground, and the rabbinate to serve God, in a sense, although in the rabbinate you do serve humanity also. So that tradition uh, is part of my family tradition, part of my uh, Sephardic ancestry tradition, and part of the Jewish tradition that, that a religious leader always will have another profession uh, a profession that deals with humanity directly in a sense and serves humanity. And so I just followed that tradition. Now, how do we balance that in, in family life? Um, again, in our tradition is that the spouse is always a helpmate, as the Bible said it, right? When God created Eve, he said, let me create a helpmate to Adam. A helpmate to Adam, and Adam was a helpmate to Eve in that sense. And so when you have two leaders of a family, the husband and the wife, and they both uh, uh, serve God in a sense and serve humanity, they understand the roles that the, each one plays in a family. And we both have dual roles, triple roles with our professions, as, as Stewart has her own, but also with raising children. Uh, my children, um, from the beginning, you have to give them the attention that they need as a child. You have to raise them properly. You have to educate them. But I raise them understanding that service to society, service to humanity is part and parcel of, of a life of a human, or in this case, also a life of a Jew. And uh, they were with me always in my uh, congregational uh, setting. Uh, we always had guests in my home. My children were always sitting at the table and they interacted. And so they grew up appreciating that lifestyle. They grew up, uh, uh, in a sense, uh, valuing uh, who their parents are, their father and their mother, and how their interaction with society. And so uh, thank God I have to say that uh, we were blessed and we are blessed uh, that uh, my children understood that function and they helped in any way possible. In fact, my children all helped in the running of my congregations in the past. I love the way you put things because to me, it's that heart of allowing people to ask questions and, and people like myself that are curious and you've, you've welcomed me and literally to your home and you invited me to a, a beautiful event at your house. And you know, I think that's the thing that many of us that aren't born into Judaism or, or that don't come from a Jewish background, there's a lot of things we don't know. I, I know when I had my son with you, he asked a question and he said, are you allowed to get married? Are you allowed to have kids? That What are some of the things in, that you've been asked uh, by others that kind of maybe have a, a certain, um, I don't know, either indoctrination against uh, people that are Jewish or maybe things they might just think that just candidly just weren't true? Right. Well, of course, there's a lot of either stereotyping or misinformation or misunderstanding the function of a religious leader, in this case, a rabbi in the Jewish, uh, in the Jewish community. Not only we are allowed to get married, but we are obligated to get married. 
and have children. In fact, tradition has it that no rabbi can serve as a rabbi and function as a rabbi in a place unless he is married and has a family. And the reason for it, not only because it's a religious imperative in the Bible where God blessed Adam and Eve and blessed Noah and his wife and Abraham and Sarah and all our patriarchs, multiply and be fruitful, which is getting married and having children. That's the, that's the legal imperative, if you will. But from a societal point of view, how can a rabbi help his congregants who may have family issues, marital issues, children's issues, if he himself does not have a wife and children that he deals with? So in addition to the knowledge from the books that we are taught and through, through our ancestors, that there is a, as I said before, life is a teaching institute. And so for us as rabbis, as religious leaders, even our wives that help couples in the community that they may have some marital strife, or there is an issue of children education, or whatever family issue, unless we are married ourselves and we know and we experience those difficulties, we wouldn't be able to help our congregants and our, our community. That's eloquently put. The, the way you said it is that I do think that the guidance one gives will be different when one has experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Experience makes the difference. Experience coupled with learning uh, from the ancient books and modern books about family life uh, makes the real difference, actually. It, it sure does. And you know what? I, it's interesting. I, I love the way the United Arabs is that there's unity there. So out of all the places in the world that you could have gone, you chose that region. Why? Absolutely. Uh, the United Arab Emirates and in this region that, we, that I live in now, it's a place that they respect the elders. It's a place that reveres tradition. It's a place in which the principles of, of the existence of God and the teaching of God are lived on a daily basis. And I, as a rabbi, and even as a physician, that gives stability to families, that gives stability to communities. Uh, and it's a place that there is a deep respect for each individual. Uh, and there is a definitely respect for each individual's faith, religion, ethnicity, national origin, color, whatever. And so, so it's important to live in a society that you know you are respected and you are expected to respect others. There is no, uh, there is no, uh, incite, uh, you know, hateful speech. There's no incitement. There is no disrespect for other people's religion or other people's nationality. There is an absolute respect and it's a society that society lives in peace. It's really peace and coexistence. And it has been a great uh, experience for me. And one of the reasons why I, why I came here. You know, it starts with leadership and the hearts of the people. So how, you know, looking around the world, I come from the, the Western side, there is a certain thought process or there is a certain indoctrination against other parts of the world where they make certain assumptions. And the one could be in the UAE, for instance, where you, you just said it best that there is this unity. There is this welcoming of different thoughts and different beliefs, and you can still be family during this. You don't have to always agree with somebody, but you can respect their opinion or respect at least the way that they're, what they think. So how's that been for you in mean, that, that journey? Because you are, you're mentoring and guiding a lot of people around the world who sometimes might get stuck in a certain way of thought. How do you guide them out of that? 
Well, you know, uh, it's very difficult sometimes to change how people feel. That's not the issue. People might feel that they dislike somebody else, or they might feel that they disagree with somebody else, or they might feel that the faith of the other person is not livable by them. But that does not give them the permission or should not allow them to insult the other person. You could keep your opinion to yourself, so to speak. You may not like the other person, but you must respect them because we all live in the same place, in the same region, and at the end of the day, in the same Earth, planet, planet Earth that we all live, and we ought to respect each other. Here, my experience has been incredibly welcoming, incredibly satisfying, an experience that I have not felt anywhere in the world, and I have lived in many countries throughout my life. But here, there's a great welcoming, there is a smile when I'm seen in the streets. People sometimes want to take pictures with me because they see a rabbi in this region which there wasn't any before. Uh, and so uh, it has been a very, very positive experience, an experience feeling the warmth, the acceptance, um, the embracing of different cultures. We have people uh, learning about Judaism and we have Jews learning about Islam and about uh, any other tradition. We learn from each other. We learn from each other and we accept each other and we see the beauty of each other's faith and tradition. And that's what really has kept the peace and coexistence in this country. You know, I was at dinner a couple of weeks back after I'd returned uh, from visiting you uh, in the UAE. And I told a friend of mine, Richard Feiner, the uh, Jewish gentleman, about how easy it is to do business in, at least in Dubai, and how welcoming it is uh, to those in the world of well, people of faith. So, kind of talk a little bit more about that. So, those that are on the sidelines and they're trying to make a decision, and they don't necessarily have to be Jewish. They could be Italian. They could be Greek. They could be American. Of this transition, you, know, you went from the United States uh, to this part, and at least initially, there might have been a little bit of a maybe culture shock, or was there a culture shock? Well, actually, for me, there was no culture shock at all, and I'll tell you why. So first, coming from the United States, I come from the city of New York with skyscrapers pretty high. And so uh, seeing skyscrapers here, although I have to tell you in all honesty, I love the skyline of Dubai much more than the skyline of New York. But uh, so that was not a culture shock. I'm used to big buildings. Then uh, English signs. English language, of course, in New York, uh, we all speak English. And so I had no issues with that, no need to, to, to adapt or to, to have a, a culture uh, learning curve. Now, take the Arabic. Having been born in Lebanon, lived in Lebanon, uh, which is an, an Arabic-speaking country, but yet a country that had multi-nationalities uh, people from France, from Europe, from all, even multinationalities from the Middle East, Lebanon was the Switzerland of the Middle East, Beirut was the Paris of the Middle East. And so I was already used to a culture, a population that, that is varied, that there is a plurality of, of people living there. And so coming to Dubai, there was no culture shock at all, not from the point of view of having coming from an American or the West and having been born and lived in the East in a, in a country like Lebanon. And so... I would say, if I may venture to say, that the UAE is the Lebanon of today, what Lebanon was in the 60s and, and early 70s. The only uh, not shock I could say I saw is the amazing cleanliness in this city. There is no crime. The streets are clean. 
There is no homelessness. There's no uh, people uh, badgering you on the street or trying to assault you. You don't need to look back and see who's behind me. Is he going to attack me or not? That was a bit shocking because coming from New York, I have to say, unfortunately, it has become now a crime-ridden city, as many of the United States major metropolis. When you walk the street, you need to look behind you. When you ride the subway in New York, you need to make sure where the person sitting next to you or behind you is not going to stab you or assault you. So that part was shocking that when I came here, there was no such thing. Clean city, no crime, no homelessness in the street. Beautiful, beautiful, and a high quality of life. But the culture itself, it was like basically coming home. It was coming home for me. I love the way you put that because I do feel and believe in many ways, at least to me, it is as close to the Garden of Eden as you can get, where there seems to be order and is it peace. So I have to ask you, I was on my way to uh, Davos a couple weeks back. I was moderating a few panels there, and I didn't know the questions to ask of some really smart people. And I'm the guy that's supposed to moderate and ask good questions of super smart people. So I went to my coach, and he's in his 80s, so he's 40-plus years older than myself, and I said, Bill Clark, what do I ask some of these people who are much more successful than I am? He said, Dustin, you know what I would ask them? What are you learning today? So I'm going to ask you the same question, Rabbi. What are you learning today? Well, aside from the informal learning, when I meet with somebody, I learn something from them. When I encounter someone, I learn something from them. But of course, I have the books behind me that every day um, I open and I learn, be it in religious faith or being in science and medicine or being in, in life as general. So I have my session, my formal sessions of learning. Plus I have my informal sessions when I meet with people. You always learn something from someone. And if we don't, that we missed a great opportunity because nobody knows if we're going to meet that person again and again. But the moment you meet somebody, that's an opportunity to learn something from them. Now, sometimes you might learn what not to do, right? <laughs> but most of the time you learn something new, and that's important. But it's also important to learn what not to do sometimes. Beautifully said. And I got to ask you, because you're someone that I consider to be at this stage in my life, a mentor. Would you give us a parting blessing for all faiths, all backgrounds, all beliefs? Well, first of all, it would be, it's an honor for me that you call me a mentor and, uh, whatever, uh, that is worth, you know, to help in anything. Of course, I am there, there, of course, and I'm here. A parting, the only thing I could say that if every human being recognizes that there is one creator, that that creator created all of humans equally, as we are all the children of one Adam and Eve, therefore we are all equal. We are all equal. It doesn't matter what color we are, which region we, li we live, what religion we have, what language we speak, what even opinion we have. If we know that, then at the end of the day, we are all brothers. And if we are all brothers, we ought to protect each other. And we ought to work all together for the improvement of this world, for fixing things, for what we call a stikun olam. We have to remedy and, and do good to the world and to humanity because that is, I am sure, what the Almighty God wants from each and every one of us, from every individual. We have to protect uh, nature. We have to, to, to help in developing the world, but in a way that is positive and that it's good for humanity and for future generations. 
it's a big it's a big request that I'm making, but I think that is the most important one. If we have that in mind, I think we will all be much much better. Thank you again for sharing your story on the Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you. Thank you again, Chief Rabbi Elia Body, for sharing such a powerful story. I heard a quote that goes like this: "Nothing is impossible where there is persistence. Nothing is impossible." where there is belief nothing is impossible where there is life you know one of the most important lessons from both ancient and contemporary history is that the progress of countries people and civilization starts with education the future of nations start in their schools both of those quotes came from his highness sheikh mohammed bin rashid al maktoum ruler of dubai Thanks again everybody and see you next time. Life's tough. You you can be tougher.